Welcome in GC Live, Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark. Y'all know the drill. Brought to you by our buddy Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. If you're in the market for a new home, just call Clint. That's pretty much it. Uh, he'll walk you through everything else. Hit him up, clinthammond.com. It's that simple. No, no need. I'm just going to just say the phone number and the address over and over and over again. Everything else. Clint will take care of. ClintHammond.com, 803-771-6933. If you want somebody to talk about the game, maybe commiserate with as well, <laughs> Clint will probably be there for you for that too. Um, however, do not call 803-771-6933 for your Gamecock Central login problems, which uh, I have heard has happened. So that's just for buying houses. Oh. So uh, call Clint for that. He probably can't help you with your password. But Chris <laughs> – um, man, so a, a lot, a lot of this show, I think will be similar to the things obviously we talked about during takeover hour on 107.5, maybe a little bit more time to go into depth on some of these things. Um, I rewatched the game. I know you did as well. Um, some, some areas after rewatching felt honestly, just as glaring as they did live. Some issues, um, you know, maybe I was like, well, maybe not quite as bad as we thought. For the most part, though, and we talked about this earlier, it kind of just confirmed a lot of things we've been talking about all offseason. And, you know, here, here's the thing. If you're playing a cupcake, if you're playing, you know, Eastern Illinois or whatever, uh, Northern Illinois – Western Illinois, if you're playing one of those teams. Northern Illinois just beat BC, Wes. No Northern Illinois hate on wow. the chat. Yeah, I, uh, I've been in the Gamecock bubble, so <laughs> I did not know that, Chris. But, I, uh, wow, that's that's a big win for them. How about that? That's, that's rough for BC, yeah, no doubt. Yes. Um, but, it, it almost, Chris, I almost feel like Shane Beamer and even to an extent, Dow Loggins, if you go back and just listen to their last two press conferences, mm -hmm. they kind of warned us all that this could be the case. Now, you know, you're hoping it's not. They're hoping it's not. You're hoping you get to the game. You Maybe you guys step up a little bit. Maybe you, know, you, you don't have preseason games. They've told us that many times. You, you never really know. But the exact questions we were talking about are the exact issues we are now talking about from Saturday night's game. They are. It's a great point. Now, Wes, let me, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm trying to prevent you from getting angry tweets and, and, and chat comments. I think you were not saying that the staff was setting the stage for it. guys were probably giving up nine sacks on Saturday. Right. I mean, like, not like that, but you went through it earlier today and, and you did it. I, I should probably just turn it back over to you to lay out all the different things, but literally we're going to be playing some young guys uh, behind our starting three wide receivers. We're really not sure. Not really sure about offensive tackle. We're not really sure about depth here, here, here. And all those things did play out. Right. And when you play, a team that is not – I actually like how Mac Brown put it uh, before uh, the game on Saturday. He, he pointed out a lot of teams have laughers, I think is what he called it, for week one opponents. 
Whew, not the case, right? Um, not the case for the Gamecocks. There, there are no laughers on their schedule um, this entire year, really, when you, when you just go up and down the schedule. And so when you play a, a Power 5 team that has a quarterback that's getting Heisman buzz, that has a defense that while they have been pretty bad, Wes, last year they were pretty bad, they do have talent. You don't look out at that North Carolina defense and say, man, there's just no – like up front especially. I had a Clemson fan telling me yesterday, a buddy of mine, pointing out, man, a lot of those dudes playing up front for UNC, they were like, we wanted those guys. So, you know, the the, the question for UNC hasn't been, man, there's no talent on defenses. Why have they not been as good? So we'll see if they – you know, Wes, I'm not saying that's a team that's going to be – you know, Georgia on defense. That's not the case. Could they be better? Maybe. We'll, we'll see throughout the course of the year. Point is, you're playing a good team, and good teams tend to take your weaknesses and expose them. And so we did see that. I think we saw that in some areas kind of as expected, and then I think some of the areas where we expected it, it went to another level, right? So the easiest thing I can think of, Offensive tackle questions slash problems, they were amplified above and beyond, I think, what you and I thought or probably anybody thought. I I figured there might be some issues. Nine sacks, no. Miscommunications like we saw, no. Case and Henry going down in the game, that was a big factor. I think there were some other things that were exposed, quote-unquote, that were but maybe – not as bad as I thought. I, I picked North Carolina to score 38 points in the game, Wes, and, the, and they didn't get there. So some of what we expected, some maybe we didn't see coming to the extent that it ended up happening in the game. Yeah, and here here's the here's the problem for people like us, man. We're No matter what you say, somebody's going to say you're being too harsh or somebody's going to say you are sugarcoating. Um whenever you try to point out both sides of it. And so, I mean, there's people on here, video lover who um, is ready to shut down the program after one game. And, uh, you know, there will be people who say everything is is fine. I think there's probably less people like that after game one. But I I think if you – if South Carolina had played the game they played against Florida last year and – God Loves Comics um, is actually reading my mind here. If they had played that game week one last year, then you would have people, and I might have been one of them, you would have people predicting South Carolina to win two games, if if that. Um, By and large, that was the same personnel that turned around and beat Florida, or beat, Tennessee and beat Clemson after the Florida game. You know, a, a lot of people point to, hey, South Carolina put Ja'Kai Moore from tackle to guard last year. They started using Nate Atkins in the backfield as a personal protector in the passing game. They actually made those moves the week before against Florida, if you yeah. go back and watch the film. And they didn't so, work. <laughs> they it, did it, work. Exactly. So, largely the same personnel – they made a couple little tweaks, moved Cam Smith back to nickel. For the most part, same personnel. So I, I'm not saying South Carolina is going to go score 
63 points the next time they play an FBS opponent, you know, against Georgia, that's not happening. But we got to all try to find the context. We got to all try to find the fair line of pointing out what are very valid issues that we all saw Saturday night while also acknowledging you can get better, you can improve. Um, to, to run down them real quick, Chris, the issues we talked about, the issues Shane Beamer himself very publicly laid out, you'd said it already, offensive tackle. That was talked about a ton preseason. Running game offensively in general. Depth at wide receiver once you get past your top three guys. Run defense. And then the depth at defensive back once you get past Marcellus Dow, O'Donnell Fortune, Nicky Memori, and DQ Smith. I feel like every single one of those things we saw play a major role in Saturday night's game against an opponent that I'm with you, man. I'm still waiting to see. I'll I'll have one eye over on UNC for the next few weeks. Are they did all those guys that were highly recruited but underperformed? Did the light bulb come on? Did South Carolina make them look good? Where, where's the yep. where's the truth in between the two extremes there? Um, so th- there's a lot to there's a lot to still learn about this team. There's also a lot of issues, some of them correctable. If you're Carolina, you're finding out how can you correct them quickly because there is no back-to-back Charlotte SC State matchup towards the early to middle part of this schedule. You got Furman this week, and then you're right back in SEC play, man. So in some ways, I feel like if you're a coach, you don't want to just give up on a guy. You want to give your personnel you picked a chance to work through their issues. However, if you're going to make wholesale personnel changes against Furman, it's probably the only week to make that move in the foreseeable future. So since you mentioned last year, I've, I've kind of got a point on that that I want to make, and, and they almost seem to conflict with each other, but they don't. So just bear with me, people. The So last year, there were a couple times, at least a couple, where this team was dead and buried, right? Shut the program down, fire everybody and anything associated with the program. The, this is awful. Everything's terrible. And the Florida game was obviously the big – and look, people had a right to be – that was an awful game, an awful performance – all the bad things you can say about it were, were fair. But it did go to show. And the 2021 season was the same, Wes. The ups and downs of that, right? You beat Auburn, you have a bad performance. You beat Florida, you have a bad performance, right? And last season, we saw some of those ups and downs. But for programs that aren't in the elite status, this sometimes happens, right? So last season, to add to the frustration of those ups and downs and some of those performances was the fact that particularly on offense, Wes, you looked at it and you said, man, this team has Spencer Rattler and these receivers and they have Marshawn Lloyd and they have a veteran offensive line and they have some capable tight ends. Why can't they put up any points? How do they lay a goose egg against Florida on offense? Your only touchdown being on a special teams fake, right? And because they did have good players – that's why they were able to do what they did against Tennessee and Clemson and, and credit the players and the staff for orchestrating that turnaround, right? This year, you're, you're certainly in a place where you have better personnel than 17 points against North Carolina would indicate. 
right? You've got, I know Juice Wells only played, I think, 19 snaps. You know, you still have personnel where you can put up a better performance than that. The issue is there are still some differences with last year. Uh, you don't have Marshawn Lloyd, who was one of the best tackle breakers on the team last, last year. Um, your, your backup last year, you kind of had basically kind of five co-starters at receiver is kind of how you can look at it because Jalen Brooks and Josh Van, they started some games. If they didn't start, they were your key backups you could bring in to play important roles. This year, you have three starters, and behind them, you don't feel great, which is the point you made earlier. And then, of course, Wes, the offensive line situation. So I think you could say both these teams at once, both these things at once. There is still hope to improve on offense for this team. There are also some questions that this team has to answer in order to improve. And um, I think some of these things could linger. You know, what South Carolina's offensive line isn't going to become next week or by the end of the season one of the best units in the SEC. That is the reality that is faced this season. However, can they become good enough to be solid? Can they be an average middle-of-the-pack SEC group? Because, and I'll take this one to my grave, Wes, if the offensive line was average on Saturday, South Carolina probably wins the game, despite playing as poorly as they did. Throw everything out else out. If Spencer Rattler has more time, he was good enough on Saturday night to, I think, be able to go out and make some more throws, make some more plays, and for South Carolina to win this game. They stole three possessions from North Carolina, came away with, I think, three points on those. And a lot of it was tied to pressure and to sacks, ended or destroyed so many drives on the night. Definitely, man. Um yeah, we got the uh, the comment section on fire today. I figured I figured we would have some takes. Um, whew. So, one question: What happened to all those four star offensive linemen they just brought in? Did they not play, um, or is Beamer going to keep the most talented players off the field like he did Bell and that five star running back that transferred? Um, First of all, I mean, Marshawn Lloyd played by far the most snaps of any running back last year, um, and especially until he was hurt and um, was their leading rusher. Gene Bell, you know, he played quite a bit last year as well. So the question as far as offensive linemen, you really can't expect, no matter how well you recruit that position, for – them to just insert an entire offensive line of freshmen to start a season when you have guys that are older, more experienced returning. Now, is there a real possibility we see a bit of a youth movement up front based on what we saw on Saturday night? Uh, of course. And, you know, do you possibly see Tree Babalade get in there? Marky Anderson, until he had, uh, you know, a setback or two with an injury, was a guy we really thought was going to be in that rotation, probably will be in the future. Uh, you know, Troy Ball is a guy who, you know, we've said quietly they're they're very high on and possibly could play very, very soon, I think. So the youth movement is a possibility, but it's really not fair to just go into a game one against North Carolina in Charlotte 
and throw three four-star offensive linemen on the field. That's a recipe for even less success than we saw on Saturday night, I think. And, you know, Chris, I it, it's run together for me when we've talked about what at this point. But, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to try some different things at, at offensive tackle while simultaneously I think part of the problem is that position was such a question mark that they were not really able to hit their goal of kind of knowing who the starters were on the offensive line by a certain point in practice. Remember how that was a sense of urgency? That was something they wanted to kind of let those guys come together. I do wonder some of your mental issues, some of your mental errors, I should say, um, in the game, did those somewhat come from not having that, hey, these are our five, let's practice them all together with the ones, let's let them kind of gel together. That, to me, is something that could potentially be improved as a season progresses. Now, some of your just – oh, I just got physically beat, some of that, um, you know, you can improve technique, but some of your physical upside, physical ability, physical talent kind of is what it is. Yeah, very true. I, and I, I think, Wes, we're going to see on Saturday against Furman, those three offensive linemen that you mentioned, I think we see them in some capacity, right? As long as Marky Anderson is healthy enough to get in there. Remember, that that is the guy that Beamer pointed to in the 2023 class back in the spring, um, summer, preseason at times. There's some a lot of guys that have contributed. They had 19 players, Beamer said on Sunday night, that were seeing their first action. And some of those, not all those were freshmen, but their first substantial action. Some of them were freshmen. Jalen Kilgore, hey, Nick Gaiman Warriors hurt. Go in there and play 63 snaps in your first college football game and I thought he largely answered the bell. It was one of the highest-graded players on the defense, actually, on the night. So, um, Marky Anderson was the guy, Wes, out of this 2023 class that had Kilgore and Makari Swain and Pup Howard and Desmond Umazulu and uh, Nick Harbour, all these guys. Like, he was the guy that was pointed to, right? So, Wes, I, side note on Marky Anderson, if I'm South Carolina, if I'm playing, like, GM, if I'm on a – or NCAA uh, 2024 – I'm tempted to move Marky Anderson to tackle. They kind of have settled in on him being an interior guy. Athletically, I think he has the goods to play tackle. I'd be tempted to look at it. Um, but I think we'll see him. I think we'll see Trowball. Tree Babalade at left tackle. At the bare minimum, Wes, you now need more tackle depth, right? Cason Henry goes down. He was going to be a starter. He was going to have a really good chance to stabilize that right tackle spot. We lose him for the game. That means you needed to solve both tackle spots now in the game, which you obviously didn't do. And then you needed to be able to solve them for future weeks. So at the bare minimum, he's going to get a look for depth, but I think it could end up being more uh, for Tree Babalade as well. Yes, yeah, so that'll be something for fans to watch this week against Furman. Obviously, uh, home opener, chance for everybody to get back out there and you know, I think it's one of those things. If you're the staff, you you don't want to panic. You don't want to be like everybody else and say, hey, this thing's done. But at the same time, you have to make some very difficult decisions about where do you go ahead and make that move? Where do you let guys just kind of continue to try to figure it out and develop? Um, obviously, you know, you look at some guys, Sidney Fugar, not a game he's going to write home about, 
but also first FBS start, you know, like there, are you, is there a lot of room for improvement there? How, how much different can an offensive line look once they're comfortable, um, you know, as they've had some experience versus being out there in a first time situation? I do think I, I kind of separate some of the play in the interior of the offensive line compared to offensive tackle, to be honest. I thought for, for his first start on an SEC team, I thought Nick Garzullo actually had And Wes is gone. Yeah, I was making sure, guys, that I could uh, confirm that Wes was gone. Wes is down with an injury in the first quarter, too, now. Oh, man. Y'all are exactly right. All right. Wes is buffering. Wes has the circle of death. So, let's take over. I will take over now and uh, check things out. So, I want to give some – we've been going over some of the bad. I want to hit some of the good – and, and I think Wes was going there. Nick Gargiulo, he played really well. Highest graded offensive lineman. I thought he and Vershawn Lee, actually, Vershawn Lee at center, Gargiulo at left guard, th those guys played, I thought, quite well. And, um, you know, deserve credit for that. South Carolina's got to obviously find some other answers there. Xavier Leggett. Now, Xavier Leggett is a guy that I have been waiting on for probably the last couple years. Uh, I remember even hearing about Xavier Leggett as a freshman. Very first, you know, preseason practice and just hearing, man, you should see these this guy go cover kicks. He's fast. He's big. Uh, he's athletic. Right, Wes, do we have you now? I think we got Wes. Here he is. Am I, am I back? Away? You're back. We're, we're, we've switched sides, though. Uh -oh. oh, man. Hopefully gonna, people won't get too thrown off by that. We're going to upset West, people. I was just talking about Xavier Leggett. So you were about to make a point about Nick Gargiulo. Gargiulo, Vershawn Lee, I thought they performed pretty well on the inside, especially Gargiulo. So I, where I was taking it is we've gone over some of the negatives. We're going to go over more, obviously, from the game that was in the not good category because there was more not good than good, obviously. But to credit where credit is due. You know, Nick Gargiulo, Vershawn Lee. Xavier Leggett is somebody that I think you and I both have been kind of waiting to break out. And and he's shown flashes over it during his career. You think last year, the bowl game catch, the, the Texas the uh, Texas A&M kickoff return for touchdown. But he hasn't put it together consistently. Honestly, man, on Saturday night, there were some plays that Xavier Leggett made that was kind of like man against boys type of look. Um, he just looks physically superior to the competition. Sometimes he had a really good night, you know, and, and I think his emergence, if he can stay consistent, if he can stay that type of player, you start thinking about having him. You think about having a healthy juice wells back a Marion Brown didn't finish the game. You think about that, and that could be quite a solid group. And Xavier Leggett's got potential, I think, to be a really, really good player this season. 
Yeah, he was phenomenal, man. And, I mean, just think about (laughs) – confidence is a heck of a drug. And, granted, it helps to also be, what, 6'3", 220-something pounds. Right. 4'3", 4'4", 40-yard dash. You know, I I think when you're someone who has that baseline ability, um, that certainly helps. But look at Leggett and where he is now compared to you know even last year man uh the the sc state game like he it felt like he was really down after that game and uh just was not playing with a ton of confidence and you know i I think when you look at leggett and just the ability the baseline talent there it's always been there he's been that guy we've talked about several off seasons of could this be the year he kind of takes it to another level I I think we thought this was the year, Chris, but I don't think we even anticipated what we saw Saturday. Like that was that was grown man, like you said, that was you know, future NFL draft pick, potentially yeah. high draft pick, and it kind of reminded like I've I've never actually compared these two skill set wise at all. Um, you know, like they're different body types even, but Leggett kind of reminded me of watching Alshon out there just in terms of being a big-bodied guy and making those one-on-one leaping catches. You know, like I always kind of saw Leggett even at his best as being the a little bit more of an after-the-catch guy, um, really good runner once you can get him in space, can break tackles, use his big frame. But, I mean, the catch he made in the bowl game – and then the the two deep ball catches, then some of those underneath balls where it looked like, frankly, UNC's defenders were kind of just having to play off because they were worried about Leggett running past them. All those things are incredibly good signs for the future for South Carolina at that position. And, and for Leggett himself, man, that's a guy you've got to be pulling for. He's been through a ton in his personal life, has stuck around, has worked through injuries, has worked through – development growing pains is your latest example of don't don't give up on a guy just because Mm -hmm. they're not excelling just because they're not playing a ton even if they have some mistakes early in their career don't give up because you can continue to develop as a football player yeah and you know I think Wes there does come a point with certain guys where you you say "Ah, he probably just doesn't have it but a lot of times when you do that it's just tied to athletically they're just not there that's the reason that you could you could stay on the Xavier Leggett bandwagon like I think we did because you knew this dude has great size he's got the size to speed right one of the fastest players on the team even at his size and then he had some demonstrated ability to do you know some special things in terms of playmaking so he that was definitely a positive for the other night and let, let me take a question Wes I got two uh, questions I want to address. Uh, the left side is the producer side, so I'm now taking over the chat too, by the way. So hopefully you don't mind. Golden Sith, appreciate you weighing in. W- when will we stop with pats on the back for losing not as bad as we thought we would? Not what we're doing. Um, this isn't the uh, the Steve Spurrier clap after losing to Auburn, and, and he got irritated with that. Uh, first of all, I – I didn't even think South Carolina would lose. I've had South Carolina winning the football game 41 to 38 and they didn't pointing out 
a few positives from the game. It is not an effort to sugarcoat anything. Um, it's not an effort to deflect. It's not an effort to to say, oh, well, great job, y'all, y'all lost, but not as bad as we thought you would. None of that. Um, simply pointing out what was good in the game, what was bad in the game, why did South Carolina lose, what does it mean for the rest of the season. Some of the good things that you saw in the game, Xavier Leggett, for instance, Spencer Rattler, for instance, those could be critically important because there are at least 11 more games left in this season. So, nope, nobody's nobody's trying to say congratulations, pat on the back for losing a football game. Uh, just trying to trying to lay out the good and the bad. There was one more as far as uh, right, a couple people have actually asked Wes and and Wes. I don't even know if you and I will agree on this. I think we will. Why was Mo Kaba covering a kickoff? So, Kirby Smart at Georgia has starters playing special teams. Um, Pete Limbo plays special teams. Plenty of starters played special teams for South Carolina last year. Darius Rush played. Nate Atkins played. Jalen Brooks played special teams. Um, and on and on and on. So, you know, Kaba, you got to remember last year, was going to play a huge role on special teams before he got hurt on defense against Arkansas. So it's not really atypical. It, it is definitely unfortunate for Kaba to go down with an injury, it, regardless of what he was doing. Uh, covering a kick, playing defense, falling, to, falling down a set of stairs. However it happens, you feel for him. You absolutely hate it for him because, goodness, he, he just got back and was back for game one, but it, it is not atypical to have starters playing special teams. Wes, agree, disagree? Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't have it both ways. And what I mean by that is you can't talk about Pete Limbo and how, um, you know, amazing his special teams are and how happy you are about Pete Limbo's special teams being difference makers, and then – you know, say, well, that guy shouldn't be playing on special teams. You know, like it, it's yeah. Yeah. his, he, he does a, actually does a very calculated job of balancing out, hey, this is your role in offense or defense. This is how many units. There's a literal matrix, uh, you know, where he has it all charted out. And from that point, if a, even if a player moves up on the depth chart, hey, we're going to adjust. Where do we need him? Where do we not need him on special teams? Maybe we need him on all these, but we, we we can't use him for all of them. So it moves up to the next guy. And while all 11 are important, Limbo has even given us a little bit of a view into his thought process when he said, hey, this spot is a non-negotiable, talking about in that instance about kickoff return. So are some spots on special teams a little bit more important potentially? I think, yes, that's safe to say. But – I, you know what, if, if the guy is going to be the best special teams coordinator in the country, have the best special teams by multiple metrics last year, I, I can't turn around and say, well, why aren't you playing this guy? Why aren't you playing? In, in this case, Kaba, I understand he was coming off an injury. Like I get that point. I, uh, like we, we had Kaba on the Garnet trust hour. Seemed like a great dude. Like my heart absolutely goes out to him that, it stinks. Like, it stinks. It sounded the way Beamer said, you know, without speculating, we can all read through the lines. It sounded like it's very serious. Yep. So, 
you know, I hate that for him, but I, I don't think you can blame a special teams decision. I, and Frank, I didn't even see when it happened, when the actual injury happened, but it's, um, you know, it, it, it kind of was one of those football injuries where um, you just, you hate it for, for the kid, for the person, but I, I can't blame anyone for, for putting him on the field. He was Chris, one of their best, special teams guys um, before he even kind of took over as a linebacker, you know, the, at the beginning of last yep. year as their starter. Yeah, he was going to play a huge role last year on special teams. I think he was a special teams player the spring last year. And then, all you know, won some some pre, you know, some spring preseason accolades too within the team for his work on defense. So definitely – and I think that's a natural segue, Wes. So, so Kaba – is out right i mean shane beamer's alluded to it he's going to be out a while it doesn't sound good with, with what's been said publicly and what we've heard privately not not a good situation for kaba bam martin scott another key guy on special teams and the the defensive linebacker rotation west key reserve uh, he also did not play uh we knew that going in that he was doubtful for the game or that he'd be out and that he probably would be back for week two against Furman. I, I don't think, Wes, that Shane Beamer addressed him specifically on his Sunday teleconference, Bam. But uh, should be back for week two. Pup Howard traveled, but did not play against North Carolina. Didn't see any snaps. So, Debo Williams and Stone Blanton. Wes, I thought those, those two played pretty well from what we saw. It was a mixed bag in the run game for sure. Um, but I thought they played pretty well, but they are going to need some help. Um, coming into this year, what were we talking about? They're going to have more depth at linebacker this season. The starters won't have to play 60, 70, 80 snaps if they get up there. Well, that's that's a little in doubt now. Mo Kaba's absence is a huge part of that, but to me that just amplifies the need to get Pup ready. He missed some preseason, seems to be okay now, traveled to Charlotte. You got to get Pup on the field. You got to get Bam back on the field. And now you need to stay healthy there and uh, and be able to give Blanton and Debo Williams a breather when they need it. For sure. I thought, um, you know, if, if we're running down the positives, I, I did think linebacker play, you know, and, and you can get picky. Like, were, were they perfect? Of course not. You know, let's see, somebody made some good points on here. I lost it. But um, if his God loves comics again. Um, you know, you can get picky about it, but re really this is this is both those guys' first game as, as starters. You know, I, I thought in terms of tracking the football, being aggressive, playing uh, with energy and effort and, you know, frankly having the size and the physicality needed, I, I thought those guys – I thought it was a great first effort for them because you you would think they're only going to get better. You know, they, yeah, they've both played in reserve roles. Stone had to step up and play as a backup middle linebacker, probably a little bit ahead of schedule last year, a little bit ahead of when he um, maybe should have as he was a true freshman. But, I mean, I, I thought that the the offseason in the weight room for Stone Blanton and kind of just trimming down a little bit, getting more comfortable, getting more confident, I mean, I, I thought I thought he and Debo both looked the part on Saturday night. I'm 
I think if you're a Carolina fan and you're wanting to feel a little bit better, the the run defense, you know, I think they average 4.3 yards a carry. That's that's not great when you give up, uh, you know, here, let me pull it up. You give up 168, 168 yards total on 39 carries. A few of those are actually the uh, the kneel downs. Uh, so those need to be taken out. So the average is a little bit higher than that, frankly, if we're being completely honest. Um, but, dude, th- those guys give you hope that this run defense actually can can continue to get better as the season progresses. I thought run defense was kind of in a category, if you're going to, like, do level of concern, do they still need to keep improving as a total run defense? Yes. Is it on the level – of what I think your concern would be with like offensive tackle. I I would say, in my opinion, probably not. There were some good signs, and it's mostly due to hey, the, those linebackers looked the part and looked kind of like what I think Clayton White thought he had in the preseason when he was talking those guys up. Yeah, I think they were active, Wes. Um, you know, Debo Williams has always been a guy that he had some big hits in the game. That's that's his game. You know, he's going to he's going to come up and strike somebody for him. I think he's he's played you know, his first 2 years Wes, he's played in every I think he played in every single football game available to him since he got to South Carolina. Um but la- it wasn't until last season where he took on you know, more of an important role as a position player now stepping into that starting role. So you're right, he he can get better and I think he made a lot of strides in the offseason. Uh, Blanton, I think there were some key things for him. We've been over him before, right? He, he's always a guy that's been real smart, can find the football. Um, he's not going to be, uh, you know, sky more in terms of his athletic giftedness. But he's trimmed some weight, he's healthier, and he does always seem to be around the football. So got got to find those guys some help. It, it was a mixed bag, Wes. Uh, you know, South Carolina, I, I think the the run was actually – something that that I think people were not talking about enough going into this game. Talk, talked about Drake May and his arm and the system, but we knew Chip Lindsey would want to run the football, and we knew that Drake May was North Carolina's leading rusher last season. They did a pretty good job on, on May. He, he did spring a couple runs, right, but nothing huge. A Marion Hampton, South Carolina, he kind of weird. He had two touchdowns from some red zone carries but then he only averaged two-something yards a carry. British Brooks did go over 100 yards, on the other hand, on I think 15 carries, had a couple, had a few explosive runs in there. So a mixed bag, need to get better there. And then, Wes, I think even some good and the bad when you look um, at up front and in the secondary. So the bad, obviously, a couple one-on-one situation touchdowns that you give up. One of them was even tougher to deal with. Uh, because it was a ball that Drake May just kind of threw up, and and you don't get your head around. You give up that touchdown. That's tougher to swallow than you know getting run by, and your 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 quarterback dropping a ball in. That was disappointing. But I thought you know Jalen Kilgore played well. Uh, Marcellus Dial, I thought played well. Kawan Banks got an interception. Od Fortune got an interception on a really nice play. That you know you know those types of plays kept the Gamecocks in it. And then, of course, Wes, I think if the offensive line was the biggest disappointment, especially at the tackle position 
on offense, defensively, biggest disappointment had to be, um, you know, not affecting Drake May, right? And so you look at the edge position in particular, no sacks on Drake May. It's an offensive line that gave up 40 sacks in 2022. Gamecocks go without a sack. Tough pill to swallow. Um, I think five hits on Drake May, nine hurries, I think is what I got from PFF data earlier. Really tough to swallow that. So that's another one of those areas where this was an area of concern and it was probably worse. Is that fair to say, Wes, than we were anticipating going in? Yeah. um, If everybody wants to bear with me, I think the depth chart just came out. So um, the updated one. So I'm I'm trying to look through that so we can talk about it and also uh, trying to post it on the insiders forum real quick. But so Chris, in the meantime, uh, this is Monday, which I think for our ad schedule is bird dogs day. Uh, I know Chris has been rocking his bird dogs um, quite a bit. We got a beautiful care package when we first started this from bird dogs with many options, joggers, shorts, uh, that polo, which I think is frankly my favorite part of our care package. I, I think Chris's favorite part, though, is those shorts that have the built-in, basically their gym shorts on the inside and khakis on the outside. And also, uh, Chris, you can get a, a little prize if you go to birddogs.com slash, game, uh, slash Gamecocks or put in Gamecocks in the promotional field when you buy something from birddogs.com. Yeah, man. Outstanding stuff from Bird Dogs. These shorts are incredible. I've got them on again today. Don't judge me. They are amazing. If you go and check go check them out at birddogs.com, you get yourself a free gift with the promo code Gamecocks. I think, Wes, you can still go birddogs.com slash Gamecocks. That'll get you right there. It'll automatically populate the code for you. Or if you're just on birddogs.com, get whatever you want to order put in the promo code at checkout and you can get your free gift there too. But um, we got the pants, Wes. Those are awesome. Shorts, definitely my favorite. The shirt, the hat, super cool gear. Keeps you cool all day, super comfortable. But you also look a little more than casual, Wes. You know, you can you can look good with a pair of dirt, bird dogs. You can go to some, you can go to some functions with them. Uh, so they're outstanding. Definitely recommend checking them out. They're my absolute favorite since we got turned on to them. Yeah, they're pretty sweet. Go check it out. Um, You will get a free gift by using that code Gamecocks. Um, Yeah, check it out. Promise you they are awesome. So, all right, depth chart. Y'all, like I said, hang tight with me. So, Chris, I do not have the old depth chart in front of me to pair, but I do remember most of it. And I'm seeing – so, left tackle – Sydney Fugar or Jackson Hughes, that pretty much stays the same. Right tackle actually now says Tyshawn Wanamaker or Ja'Kai Moore. Um, Ja'Kai Moore also still – oh, wow, they've actually added left and right tackle on here now. So, uh, <laughs> yep. Ja'Kai Moore, your starter at right guard still, but also listed as an or starter at right tackle along with Tyshawn Wanamaker. Uh, let's see. Quarterback's the same. Connor Cox has been added to the depth chart at tight end. Yep. He is now listed as Joshua Simon's backup. He was obviously injured last week. Running back is the same. 
let's see, defensive end, uh, Drew Tuazama, who played around 20 snaps in his South Carolina debut. He is now listed as an or starter at defensive end. So you got Tyreek, JT Gear, and Drew T. Uh, defensive tackles are the same. Other edge spot, which is outside linebacker, is what it's listed on here. Jordan Strong or Brian Thomas or Des U. And let's see, they have added Bam Martin Scott to the depth chart at Will Linebacker. No Mo Kaba, as expected. He uh, had a serious injury, it appears. And then at the nickel spot, Keenan Nelson Jr. listed as a starter. And then second team is David Spalding or Kawan Banks. Kawan, of course, had a had a big old interception in the game on Saturday. Kawan's an active guy, man. He's kind of he's kind of one of those guys you overlook a little bit because he doesn't he doesn't look necessarily as big as some of the other guys. But I mean, even going back to high school, kind of had a knack for making plays. But I mean, in anything on that that surprises you? Uh, no surprises. Um I will be here's something I'm curious about, Wes. So at nickel, since first thing that popped in my head since you were talking about it, is Spalding gonna be healthy? Because he um he was out there on Saturday, but he pulled up with what looked like, I think, Wes a hamstring. So is he healthy? And can Banks make a push, right? Keenan Nelson played really well um in in run defense. He did have uh, a, a couple plays he gave up in pass coverage. Kawan, again, like you said, not the biggest guy, but man, he, even in he, he kind of has a knack for getting bigger players on the ground. And then he's played corner, so he's got some coverage ability. I'll be curious to see if he can make a little bit of a move. It'll be interesting, Wes, to see does South Carolina definitely get JT Gear back for week two? If so, does he start or does Tyreek start or? Does Drew T start? Drew T played, I think, and we were, we were wondering this going into the game, Wes, does Drew T play more because Gear was out? Uh, the answer is probably yeah. He, he ended up playing, I think, 22 snaps in the game. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. I was also curious, Wes. First of all, I wasn't sure that we'd get a new depth chart, so we actually have one. No freshman on it at all. N- none of those three guys that we talked about earlier in Tro Ball, Marky Anderson, Tree Babalade. But do we see any of them? Are any of them getting, you know, increased reps at, during practice this week, especially Tree at a tackle spot? Maybe so. And so it'll, that'll be an interesting thing in the Furman game. You know, do they just kind of – do they roll with starters as we see on this depth chart? Do they give someone else a shot for you know right off the bat, or do we see some guys rotate in to see how they do? That that'll be really really interesting. But no huge changes aside from putting Jakai Moore as an OR at right tackle so far. Yeah, we'll you know we'll, we'll talk more about Furman in this matchup, of course, as the week progresses. But um, you look at it from a physical standpoint, South Carolina should be able to push them around a little bit. So you would say this is a chance to try and work some of those freshmen in from a, um, from another standpoint though, this is a Furman team that for their level is very, very good. So you, you can't look past them or 
with this new stupid clock, you may wake up and there's seven minutes left in the third quarter and it's a one score game. So you got to remember that as well. We we've got too much time to talk about the actual football team to spend too much time on the clock, but it's our show. So we can talk about what we want. Chris, I hate the new clock rules, man. I don't like it. They get the games go too fast. It, it happened at South Carolina's game. You know, watching Florida State LSU last night. I'm like, man, this game's flying by. I, I want more plays in the football game. I like watching football. I want more football plays. So I'm totally with you. I, I I'm curious to see how it affects the overall final number of, you know, on average, how many plays are in a football game. I'm curious to see how it affects the ability for teams to come back if they're down by a couple of scores late. It just once you get to like the mid to latter parts of the third quarter, I feel like you're already starting to count possessions, you know, and that really yep. wasn't the case in college football before. Like, yeah, you could count them out, but you kind of were like, all right, there's time. It starts getting to that point now. And I think you're saying there, there's not much time le- left. So, you know, I, I, I don't like it. I hope it gets changed after this season. It doesn't, I can't really put it in the words. It just doesn't feel right. Like sitting in the stadium, it felt like, the game was just flying. And so I, you know, I'm, I've said it many times. I'm a huge major league baseball fan. Their rules to speed up the game have actually been, I think very helpful, but those things don't change the actual game. Major league baseball's uh, rule changes involving the clock. You're there's still the same number of pitches. There's still the same number of outs. All the actual game itself was still the same. This this affects the actual football game itself, the way it is played. So I um, I don't know, not a fan at all. I think a lot of people I talk with, Chris, sort of felt the same way. I don't know anybody that was like, man, I'm loving these new clock rules. I really just like this added commercial that I'm seeing instead of that extra drive on the field that I'm seeing. So – yeah, not a fan. Chris, let's see. We've hit on some positives. Um, I thought O.D. Fortune actually had a pretty good debut as a yep, starter. He yep. played physical, played hard. Luke Doty obviously made some plays and looked explosive, I thought, with the ball in his hands. So that's a positive. Um, we talked about Leggett. Rattler was a warrior, I thought. I mean – considering the level of duress that he was under, you know, I, I thought he gave South Carolina a chance to go win the game. Um, all right. Going back to some of the negatives before we close this thing out, how, how much of this is, is fixable, Chris, and how much of it is going to be an issue all season long. And when I say fixable, I'm not really saying it, it turns from, you know, a huge question to being a strength, but how much of it can be turned to being, you know, at least not a massive weakness? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, th- this is going to make me look bad, but, I, you know, my my honest answer is I don't know <laughs> yet, right? Like, we're, we're going to see, and there's not a lot of time to figure it out. You know, if if this team – this team will have to play – uh, better than we saw to beat Furman is the bottom line, right? 
Um, now, you have a much greater margin for error against a team like Furman than you do North Carolina. That's also true. You, you can say both those things. Uh, so, it, you know, if South Carolina plays, if it looks a lot better, if they beat Furman and they do it where it's not what you described, Wes, and you look up and there's seven minutes left in, in the game and it's a one-score game, we've kind of seen those movies before with South Carolina against quote-unquote undermatched teams. We've seen that, you know. We've even seen them being on the losing side of that. But we're not going to be able to – if South Carolina looks much better next week in a win, we're not going to be able to say, okay, all fixed now. You know, we, we won't know. I, I think Mississippi State is probably the best – that's your next measuring stick, right? Like, if you go out – or even if you go out and just compete really well against Georgia, you can say, okay, this team's improving. But Mississippi State is your best chance – Right now, where we sit at a win where you can learn something and, and kind of assess it, I think, Wes, you, you got to cl- clean up some things in the run game. The biggest thing to me is can you find a way to manufacture more pressure? Um, you don't have three NFL guys out there at corner and nickel right now like you did last year with Dial and Smith and Rush. You've got one NFL guy, may, maybe some others, right, but not not proven enough yet. So what that means is you've got to find a way to manufacture some more pressure. Can that get fixed? I don't know. You know, you're, you're not going to play Drake May every week, but you're going to play a lot of really good quarterbacks. You're going to play better offensive lines than you saw against North Carolina, particularly at the tackle position. So whether it's some adjustments you can make, you know, do you play Tonka outside more, for instance? Do some of these other guys just get a little better? Do you get healthier? Does JT Gear give you something? Schematically, can you make some adjustments? That, to me, is the biggest thing that has to change. Um, I don't think they go from what we saw Saturday to all of a sudden a team that can just create pressure on demand. But is there a is there room to go up? You know, can they go up is a better question. than There's obviously room to go up. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Probably the best way to leave it at, honestly. Um, and uh, yeah, you you read my mind, man. Uh, this week, do you learn? Even if you rush for two hundred yards, doesn't really tell you everything. Even if you rush for two yards against Georgia, doesn't really tell you anything. But Mississippi State, which already is a game, I think some fans were kind of circling as a, as a win, now just becomes a massive, massive game for South Carolina. So we're not there yet, but I, I do think if you're going to break down this schedule, the way the way Carolina fans feel after that one uh, will be huge going into what will quickly be the second, third of this 2023 South Carolina football slate. I'll tell you, Chris, you can have a lot of concerns about the football team if you want. One thing you will not have concerns about or any taxiety about will be your taxes. Thanks to our friends at Liberty Tax. And I know you've already made the you've made the pre-snap uh, movement in order to go ahead and prepare yourself for next tax season with our friends at Liberty Tax. Yeah, Larry's like uh, in the NFL, the, the, the offensive coordinator talking in your ear beforehand. Honestly, that's not even a good analogy, Wes. So Larry's just a straight up a cheat code. Uh, doing things the right way, but making sure you can get out in front of it, um, 
just full of knowledge, full of knowledge. Um, he's going to get you the best possible return while staying within the IRS guidelines, government guidelines, and does an absolutely outstanding job. Gets you a game plan together so that you're ready for tax season. And if you do like I did, you can get well out in front of it so that when tax season rolls around, absolutely no tax society. Super responsive, super knowledgeable, does an outstanding job. Highly recommend. The folks at Liberty Tax with Larry, two locations out in Irmo, both on St. Andrews Road, 803-462-5576. Appreciate Larry and Liberty Tax. Um, he can help you just like he helped Chris. Check him out. Um, all right, we're at an hour. I think that's it for today. We will kind of turn the page next show, I guess. So, so next one will be Mike on Tuesday night, talking Tuesdays and Mike Uva. Then Chris and I will be back on Wednesday. And by then, dude, we will have heard from Shane Beamer on Tuesday. So that would be an injury update. And then we will have heard from the coordinators, which will be very interesting. I still maintain Dow Loggins did kind of, in some ways, warn us this could be coming um, with his comments last week. So, again, like Chris said, not that you felt warned for nine sacks. That's Nobody ever expects that. But – you know the crazy thing about those nine sacks, Chris? It it felt like nine sacks while watching it, if not more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like when I heard nine sacks, I was like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. So uh, they will, of course, look to clean up those areas this week uh, going into the Furman game. So next time you hear from us, again, we will have plenty more to kind of turn the page on and plenty more to chew on from Shane Beamer and the coordinators on Wednesday. Appreciate everybody that joined in on the chat. Appreciate everybody for commenting. Uh, Please uh, subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen to your podcast. For Chris, I'm Wes. This has been Gamecock Central Live, presented by Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage. Appreciate you all. We'll see you Wednesday.